Marcus Drum was drafted to Fremantle as a first-round pick in 2005 and played 22 games for the Dockers over the next four seasons. He was traded to Geelong ahead of the 2010 season in a bid to revive his career, but was again troubled by a series of injuries and announced his retirement from playing in 2011. Drum now works as a regional manager at the AFLPA and is the head coach at the prestigious Scotch College in Melbourne. Here's our chat with Drummy. But at least do something! Don't ever Marcus Drum, thanks for joining us on the Coach's Box. Thanks, Ben. Good to be here, mate. Thanks for having me. No problems. Um, I guess tell us about when you when you first got the coaching bug. Yeah, so I'd finished playing footy in 2011. Um, so 2012 um, was just sort of working through what did I want to do. I was 24, 25 at the time. Um, I actually received a call from Peter German, who was coaching Williamstown at the time uh, in the VFL. And he, he, I thought he might have been wanting to try to recruit me as a player, um, but he wanted to recruit me as an assistant coach. Um, he was actually an assistant coach at Fremantle at the time. That's how I'd crossed over with him. So that sort of planted the seed with the coaching side of things and I ended up doing, doing a year under him as an assistant coach at, at Willie yep. in the VFL. What about coaching like, particularly attracted you? Um, I think at the time it was, it was a way of doing something else post-footy so to be totally honest, it wasn't that I was really passionate about it. It was just a way of keeping involved. And then as that year went on, um, really learning under someone like Germo was, was really beneficial. Um, and then off the back of that, I guess having the impact that you can have on some players with their development, with what they do when they go out and obviously play, um, that's where I guess the coaching sort of grew as, as I sort of got into it. So I sort of jumped into it without ever really wanting to coach or as, as a high priority. And then it just sort of grew from there. Speaking of development, obviously you're at Scotch College. Um, what is it about school football that you most enjoy? I think it brings you back to um, why, why you started enjoying footy in the first place. So for me, it, you know, it started at a young age. I love coaching the kids because they're at an age where they just enjoy their footy. There's all, all ranges, some that really want to get drafted, some that just want to go and play old Scotch because because it's in their blood by being a Scotch kid, uh, and, and others that um, you know they might not start off in the firsts or in the first squad, but through the season they get better and better and they actually play first footy. So you see all sides of it from the top end of kids getting drafted to to guys that really come along who who really weren't in the program at the start of the season. That's what I enjoy about it. I think most importantly, what I enjoy most about it is is trying to have an impact on the kids as citizens, not not about their football. So the football's great, the coaching's great, but also them having some sort of influence on them as people for when they move on from the school. The kids obviously have a lot of aspirations and probably different aspirations as well, as you mentioned just then. So how do you like really instill that sense of pride and um, camaraderie between them all? Well, I'm pretty lucky because most of the, the boys that come through the program have already got the pride of the school. You know, they, these boys come into year seven and for a number of them, they just want to play first footy by the time they get to year 12, some in year 10 and 11. For others, it, it's in their final year. So you don't really have to do a lot to instill the pride. I think by the time they get to first footy, they understand the Scotch um, history and also the jumper. Um, we do touch on it. But I'm very lucky in that sense that these kids that come through, it's no different to yourself or myself with our, I guess, our junior club or local club growing up with um, that we're tied and attached to. 
that for them is their school. So it makes my job pretty easy. Yep. History and rivalry between Scotch and Melbourne grammar is pretty well renowned. How do you really manage that sort of prioritising year 12 and, and giving them that experience or vice versa? Do you sort of operate on that best 22 system where like if there's a standout year 10, he's in? Yeah, well, it was an eye-opener first up um, when I first got to Scotch. I didn't understand. I knew there was a rivalry. I didn't understand how big it was or how important it was and that those two schools date back to the first ever game of Aussie rules football. But in terms of selecting the side, that was another eye-opener as well um, because there was a bit more involvement from the school with that. So in a sense, it is best 22, but if you've got a kid that's year 11, a kid that's year 12, and you're you're agonising over who to choose, you more than likely would go with the year 12 because it's his final year and then hope that the year 11 um, kid would play the next year. But in saying that, you know, if we've got a year 10 kid that's head and shoulders above a, a year 12 kid and he's he's in the best 22, you're going to pick him. So it's more if it's that line ball call, you would probably err on the side of going to year 12 for that experience. And yeah. as I said before, a lot of these kids, their desire in year seven is to play scotch firsts. Yeah. Pretty close to that is to play against Melbourne Grammar. So yeah, you are. Yeah, there is a, there is a bit of responsibility in that. Speaking of year 12s, it is a massive year for them um, in particular. How do you manage and how do you maximise, I guess, the time that you have with with those guys, particularly when they've got, obviously they've got school, they've got study, they've got their NAB league commitments, some of them playing Vic Metro. How do you really maximise and hone in on that time that you have with them, given that it's a pretty short amount of time? Yeah, again, this was another eye-opener. So I'd been in programs before coming to Scotch where you had a f- all the time in the world with with the players to coach to train to educate the school is really big on you know reining that in and really big on on the timeline so basically in pre-season we get them twice a week for an hour so it's not a lot of time so you get two hours a week between sort of feb and april and then once in season comes around we get them again for twice a week training three thirty to five yep. so three hours so we're pretty restricted and that comes from the school and and i actually I actually like that because it gives the kids the balance of school, footy. Right now they're playing their summer sports, so there's no interference and crossover with football with what they're doing for win- for summer sports, sorry. So um, we just have to make the best of what we've, what we've got. So in a sense too, we can't do a whole heap or as much as we want to do because we are restricted with time. Yep. Um, but also I think that makes it quite unique because we're really big on – expressing to the to the boys that we don't have a lot of time together we only play 10 games you got 40 quarters of footy to play together in your final year of school and training on top of that's not a lot either so each year you're trying to educate them on that that we don't have a lot of time plus i've also got to fit in all their other stuff and i'm sure we'll get to it kids are in nab league kids are playing national carnival things like that so you really got to balance it out they all come from different backgrounds um, and Scotch, I guess, has a, a bit of a history of having interstate players come in in that way. How do, how do you really make that those players feel comfortable within the group and, I guess, yeah, really instill that that camaraderie between between all of them? Yeah, so they have a program. Um, they bring in Indigenous scholarships and we've been fortunate enough to have a, a number of talented footballers come in on those Indigenous scholarships over the years. I think the community of... The Scotch community play a big role in it. So, for instance, local kids that, that live live close by, um, their families play a big role in taking those interstate kids or Indigenous scholarship boys in and really bringing them in as their own in their time away from school. So really fortunate that there's a really good community there of, of parents, of, of the kids, um, 
that take those boys in and obviously make it almost a home away from home. Nearly no different to a, to a kid that gets drafted into state and, and they'll go into a host family or a local player's family will take them in. And that's been quite successful in terms of keeping those kids that do come from interstate or the Indigenous scholarships on board at Scotch for, for the years that they're there. One of those players, Jamario Hagen, um, first round, a first-round pick from last year, actually number one pick um, yep. from, from last year. What was it like coaching him? Um, obviously, immense talent. Um, yeah, he's, you could see exactly what he can do on the field. I remember him training with us in the preseason as a year 10. Um, and obviously, guys like that, you can sort of pick up straight away how talented they are. Jamara was an interesting one because he played, played every game as a year 10 as our centre half back and played really well, come runner up in our best and fairest. There was a stage there, we, we didn't really have a tall side that year. So there was a, there was a you know, chance that he was going to have to ruck for us as a year 10 <laughs> just with his spring. Yep. Uh, we saved him from that. We found a ruckman late, which was good. But what I noticed with Jamara in year 10, especially, was you go into the aftermatch and nearly every opposition coach uh, commented on number 23, where's he from? He was unbelievable. And when you said he was year 10, they, they just shook their head going, he's got two more years with him. So we were quite fortunate to, to have got three years with him. And then as a year 11, he, he faced his own, his own um, challenges as well. He, he missed out on the Vic countryside. He probably would have been good enough um, to have made it that year, but missed out selfishly for us meant he could meant he could play more games for us um but for him personally he really took that on the chin took it on board and really focused on you know making it the next year so there's not too many i guess number one draft picks that would have got told that they're not in the Vic country team as a underager most would have would have got picked but um, his attitude i his attitude and his leadership really grew post that so before that i reckon he, he was just just a, happy to play played really well never really spoke up I mean, once that happened, he started to speak up a lot. And when he, one thing about Jamara, when he talks, he makes sense with footy. So he actually has really good footy knowledge. And we didn't really see that until the second half of his year 11 year. And then year 12 was affected with COVID, unfortunately. Those external expectations are pretty high on, on school-age footballers. Sam Darcy just landed at the Bulldogs as a father-son pick in the recent draft. How do you really work with those, those players on managing those are those expectations even you look at Jamara in his first season at AFL level this year and and I guess yeah sort of the not not being a permanent member of the team in a, in a very good grand final team mm. it varies I guess for different players so someone like Sam uh it was a bit the opposite we didn't he didn't play as a year 10 he wasn't physically ready year 11 was 2020 so the COVID year we didn't play at all we saw him for five games this year and five really good games but saw a lot of him in the training that we did when we weren't COVID affected. And so could really see the talent that he had as a year 10 and 11, but physically wasn't ready as early as Jamara was. In terms of dealing with managing all the expectation, someone like Sam who you know played for Vic Metro, played at Oakley, played with Scotch, you really got to tie in with everyone involved in his programs. So it's understanding what he's doing at, at Oakley. It's then understanding what he's doing at Vic Metro. And then the, the biggest thing that we come back to with players that have got all those different um, different uh, commitments going on is communicate. So we put it on the player a fair bit to communicate, but then it's also a responsibility of ours to be talking to Oakley, be talking to Vic Metro, 
talking to his agent, you know, anyone that he's sort of really close with that's understanding his programs. And, and we're very, you know, we're very good in understanding that, you know, you don't have to train with us if what you're doing at Vic Metro and Oakley yeah. is getting enough. Sometimes the kids, most of the time, they're their own worst enemy because they want to do everything. Mm. Um, so that's where the communication is key to make sure that it's us that is saying to him, you're not training, you're not doing this, yep. and it's not him because we're trying to protect them as best we mm. can with their, with their load. Do you think the that balance and like I guess the way that's evolved has yeah has really changed over a number of years now and you're more cognizant of the fact that there needs to be that balance? I, I think so. Um, yeah. So I co-coach with with a teacher at the school, Steve Holding, and he coached years ago. Or he coached in an era where the APS didn't communicate with the TAC Cup teams, mm. so it was just they're doing everything. Mm-hmm. Now we understand, and with with. The, the measuring of their training loads and we've got fitness coaches and conditioning coaches as well, we can understand what they're doing and they map out their full year. And I think we've gotten better at trying to understand and have the and, and the, the players' well-being front of mind. So, yeah, with someone like, like Sam, for example, making sure everyone's on the same page, but we're doing that for guys that are on the Oakley list but not, might not be playing for Vic Metro. We're doing it with, with a lot of our players, but no doubt that is certainly the communication's gotten better and I think everyone's on the same page. Yeah, we want to win. We want to win the, the premierships. We all want to win the premierships, but I think by you know far and away the most important thing for us is their development and that we're not breaking them down at this young age that's going to affect them in their in their footy because we've got them at the early stage mm-hmm. it's it's about protecting them as best we can as well because they've got a lot of footy left of them left ahead of them whatever whatever level they're playing let's touch on your your role as regional manager at the aflpa and and i guess the way that requires like really strong communication and yes yeah, sort of leading along those lines so how important do you think those skills being able to complement <coughs> what you do at the PA has been able to sort of transfer across into into your role at Scotch and I guess yeah supporting these guys on education and well-being perspective. Well, I think there's benefits across across both. Um, so, firstly, the communication side of things, um, yeah, it's important in my in my role at the PA because you you know you're, we're dealing with stakeholders, dealing with members. We need to be able to communicate effectively with them. You know, the, the PA brand is is part of that as well with the way you're interacting and communicating. Crossing it over with footy, it's really good. So, you know, if, if I go into one of my um, AFL teams that I, that I look after and there's a kid that's been drafted there from St. Kevin's, it's a great talking point because I can say, Ben, I remember playing, we played against you this year, coached against you, you towed yep. us up, et cetera, et cetera. And then, that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're already off to a good start in terms of yep. knowing what they might do as footballers, maybe knowing them a little bit as a person, if you've crossed over with them as well in the aftermatch or whatever it might be. I think that's the benefit of, of coaching in the, in, in the APS is any of the boys that get drafted that you cross over. Mm. It's a really good, really good talking point. Yeah, and then in terms of the communication, kids these days, they just want the feedback and they want to know where they stand. Mm. So, you know, being upfront, honest of your assessment of where they're at, what they've got to do, where they need to get to is crucial for, for the kids these days. Mm. Yeah, and there certainly is that that crossover, I think, that works well with, with coaching and then also my work at the PA in interacting with the boys. Yeah. If you have to drop it, one of those players to, to the twos um, can feel like a devastating blow, but how do you go about making sure that that feedback that you're giving, like that you said before, that mm. they want to know where they stand, how do you make sure that, that feedback is well-received? Well, dropping anyone, it's never really well-received. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, fair. Yeah, but what I've found, you got to rip the Band-Aid off yep. quick. So I don't stand around and do the small talk. I, I, you know, 
and, and I've sort of learnt this, learnt this, but also, you know, it's been done to me as well, is I nearly I start off with that. You know, it might be, Ben, we're not going with you this week, yada, yada, yada. And then, then their minds might be racing, going elsewhere. Tell the reasons why. And hopefully you've already had those discussions before that part of the end of the week as well. Um, and then it's the follow-up with that. Mm. And that's where it gets a bit challenging with the school as well because I'm not there full-time. I can only contact them via email. So you've either got to make the call at training yep. when you see them or the other co-coach, he's there at school. So he might have to deliver it or follow up the feedback the next day. Mm. So we, we both do it, but he's the one that sees them more regularly than me because he's at school with them. So it's never easy. I think because I've had it done to myself a number of times, you understand that it's, it's not easy. You want to prove them wrong. And at the end of the day, that's what I want them to do. I mm. want them to go away, play better, prove me wrong. And I can either put my hand up and say, I got it wrong or they've responded and they've responded in a way. And that's my biggest message to them is the easy thing to do is go back to the twos, sulk, go and disrupt the, the, the reserves program, or you can go back, have an impact, might only be there for one week and you're back in. You just don't know what's going to happen in the in, in the seniors team the next week, injuries, form, whatever. That can be hard to understand in the moment at the time as a player, but that's the biggest thing I try to get across is your attitude, how you go back, that all gets noticed. We watch the twos as well. So we're there, we'll see you, we'll watch to try and get them to come back up as quick as possible. And then it just goes either way for some some of the kids. But I really try to try to instill that this is a knock in life. There's going to be a thousand, more than a thousand more knocks in life. This is one knock. You might miss out on that job interview you go for. You might miss out on something else. You might miss out on the house you go to buy, whatever it is. So I always try and just go, this is just another knock and some adversity yep. that you're going to face. And the younger that you can experience that mm. hopefully it holds you in better stead going forward what about the the flow and effect with parents and and having that conversation do you leave it that to your co-coach or are you you the one having that conversation again i'm very lucky pretty well protected in that sense when i say protected so we've got a director of sport he's the one that cops a lot of calls <laughs> we've got a teacher in charge of footy so he's almost the, the team manager but oversees all the footy sides at the school they're the ones that deal with the parents um, in a sense, I still cross over with the parents on game day or whatever it might be. But I've got to say in the last three years, and obviously it's been affected too where we haven't played as many games, being, yeah, there hasn't, there hasn't been a parent that's come up to me and you know, had a crack because their son's been dropped or mm. whatever it might be. No doubt they're, they're upset, frustrated. Um, but I know, I know our director of sport or our teacher in, tar- in charge of footy would have, would have received a lot more calls. Mm-hmm. So I understand it. Um, I'm happy to take the calls and talk to the, the parents about it. Um, I think having experienced it enough myself as a player to understand it, it doesn't make it any easier for them because I just want to see their, their boys playing at the highest level. But sometimes you got to understand too, you know, we see it through different lens. I see it through a coaching lens mm-hmm. and I get it as a parent too. You'd be seeing it through the lens of a parent. It doesn't make it any easier, but I think that's the beauty about footy and coaching is it forces you to have difficult conversations and that's part and parcel of it. Let's touch on your coaching philosophy. What's the main lesson you want your players to really take away from being under your tutelage? I'm pretty pretty simple guy, Ben. And two, my two main things are team and effort and playing your role. Think back to a kid playing junior footy, especially a pretty talented kid. It would predominantly be about going out, getting touches, getting noticed, kicking goals, getting it out of the centre, all that. My biggest thing is we don't need, we don't need 22 Dustin Martins we don't need 22 Jack Rewalts. We need every player playing their, their role. So I touch on a lot of the, the guys that probably don't get a lot of the kudos um, in their teams, but they do a lot 
to, to make their teams successful. Mm. So really hone in on that is playing your role, giving 100% effort. So it doesn't matter if, you, if, you, you know, if your skills aren't up to scratch, but you're giving 110% effort, yeah, you'll get, a, you'll get a game plus you're playing your role and team. So everything's about the team. And again, coming back to that young age, and I go back to myself as a junior, it's more about yourself because you want to get noticed, you want to play at the highest level. So I'm trying to instill in that young age that it's team and we see it, we, kids get drafted and then it's a shock to the system. And I'm talking about kids at, at Scotch, they get drafted and then it's a shock to the system because they have to conform to team. They've never done it before. Mm. So they don't understand where they've got to be in the structure because they've just gone and run their own structure. Mm. So for those guys and even guys that go on and play a decent level of footy, it's the team is number one first because whatever you go into a decent level, it's going to be about the team next year, the year after. The individual is, is out the window by that age. Yep. So it's a real balance. I want kids to show their instinct and enjoy and have fun because it's school footy, mm. but I also want them to understand the importance of team and that it's about the next bloke there and the next bloke next to you that's going to help you get to where you want to go and where we want to go as a team. How much does that manifest itself from, I guess, the mentorship that you had with, you mentioned Peter German earlier, who's had a great track record as a as a coach and um, you obviously played a bit of AFL footy as well. How much does that manifest itself um, from, from the journey that you've had? Um, yeah, well, and even for myself, when I, when I went into the AFL system, mm. um, it, it, was, it was a lot about, playing your role for the team. Um, um, we're standing here at the structure. This is where we've got to be set up. So prior to that, there was basic structures in TAC cup footy and, and, and local footy, but you still went and found the ball yourself and did your own thing. And the good players still do that. Yep. But there, there is the full element of, of, the, of the team and the structure. Yeah, so I've certainly taken that across from, from my experience at a, at a higher level and, and tried to instill that with what we're doing because – Coming back to my philosophy, and, and it's just my philosophy, is I've found that that's, that's key and that's number one, is team. You're going to have individual brilliance within that and, and let, them, let them do that. But as long as they're still coming back to the, to the team ethos as well and that it's circulating across the whole, the whole group is, is what we're trying to, to push and instill. What's the main piece of advice for school football coaches listening to this podcast that you've, that you've got for them? I wouldn't try and tell them how to coach, but I would... I'd, I'd just say not to, not to take it too seriously. Uh, and that might sound a bit, bit strange because it is quite prestigious, the APS, and, and you know, everyone wants, wants to win and we, we do want to win. But at the end of the day too, you know, coaches out there, um, umpires out there doing a great job turning up every week to umpire. You know, the, the players just want to enjoy their time. As I said, they don't have a long season. So the advice I give is just enjoy it. Don't get too caught up in it because it's, it's a level back a little bit as well mm. um, where if you think back to what I said before with pre-season to in-season, we don't get a lot of time with them. So we can plan as much as we want, but at the end of the day, it comes and goes pretty quick. So, you know, I'm already, I'm going into my sixth year there and it's just flown. Yeah, the only advice I would have is, is enjoy it and not take it too seriously and really sit back and enjoy just watching the boys play with their mates. And that, that's another thing I try to get across to, to the players is enjoy this time because unless you go off to Old Scotch together, you're going to split and go your own ways, but you'll always refer back to the time that you played together at school in 10, 20, 30 years' time. So it's more about them just enjoying and cherishing that, that moment before footy either becomes a business for some or some just fade away from footy or it doesn't become a priority for them. It's for a lot of them, it'll be the last time they probably really enjoy their footy. Yep. And I think as a coach, you need to understand that, be aware of it, and have 
have an impact in, in how they do enjoy their footy. Uh, let's change pace drummy and get into some quick hands. Who's your favourite coach you've, you've played under? Uh, well, there's been a few, but when I think back, um, Leon Harris was probably my favourite at Vic Country. Yep. Um, that's going back a few years now. Um, but yeah, he's definitely my favourite and he also comes in under the, the next question. <laughs> <laughs> let's get to that. Most challenging coach you've played under? Leon Harris. <laughs> um, Why? Yeah. Uh, Oh, he was probably my first coach, really, at, at under-16 level. Sat him under-16, under-18s. Um, the first coach that probably really challenged me. Um, so prior to that, was able to get, get by on talent. And if I had a bad game, just try and make sure I had a good one the next game. Playing at that level, um, yeah, he, he was quite cutting, but also um, had a way of wrapping his arms around you as well uh, in an era where it probably wasn't, wasn't as arms wrapped around you mm. from coach to player. Uh, and was fortunate enough to be a captain under him as well. So I saw both sides. Yeah, so I think, yeah, his ability to hit you between the eyes and you wanted to go out and play for him and and make up for what you'd done if you'd, you'd had a bit of a shocker in, in a quarter. Um, but then post-game, um, his ability to wrap his arms around you uh, and you know you know he had your back sort of stuff. So, yeah, he's one that's, that's really um, stayed with me. Who's the most coachable player uh, that you've coached? Uh, there's a kid last year called... Um, Hugo Brommel, who was our captain. Um, so coached him as a year 10, year 11 was a COVID year, came in as our captain um, this year. And I think he's going to play VFL footy this year, uh, next year. Yep. Captain, great kid, really changed our culture at Scotch from a real buy-in perspective from the leadership group, especially my time there. You'd be out talking uh, on the field uh, after training with the other coaches and you'd look over and there he is taking the, the bins into the, to the change room. He's taking the tackle bags in. Just was a really, really nice kid, but a really, he's a really good footballer. Played at Oakley, um, got injured a bit, so probably didn't, they probably didn't see the best of him. But in terms of coachable, really coachable, especially as a captain as well. You'd put him anywhere, he'd have an impact. But it was also it was more those things off the field, packing the stuff away, things yeah. like that. You just didn't have to worry all about blacks, it or ask. Sheds, yeah, stuff. really much yeah. that stuff. And he, he's a kid that's really... Shot, like changed Scotch's culture in, in 12 months. Mm. What's your favourite coach saying? I always just keep coming back to team and effort. So they're probably the two words that I, that I scream out. But if I can borrow one from, from Ken Hinckley, it's <laughs> you get what you deserve. Yep. So, and I think that's yeah, pretty self-explanatory in footy terms. Um, at the end of the day, you'll get what you deserve. And if you don't think you're getting what you totally deserve, there'll be a reason why down the track that you do. Uh, what are your coaching aspirations? So I don't, I don't have an aspiration to go into the, the AFL system or anything like that. I really enjoy what I'm doing now. Um, so coaching at the APS level is, is, is a good level. I'm really fortunate. I understand the, the privilege I've got in doing that. And I really enjoy it because it's not as 24-7 as, as a lot of coaching jobs are. So in terms of aspiration, yeah, I don't, have a, I don't have a desire at this stage to go and coach at the Amos or country league club or vfl or afl system um i'm really just happy doing this at the moment and i think maybe as my kids get older i might scale back and maybe coach the lower levels if they still have me yeah. at scotch where it's a bit of an earlier game less pre-season but more actual coaching yeah yeah i like yeah. it marcus drum thanks for joining <coughs> us on the coaches box thanks ben much appreciated